when we talk about what it means to help a child grow up to know Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior, to have that imprinted upon their hearts and minds where that is the most important relationship that they have in their life. There are things that when even us as adults look back on that lifetime, that part of our lifetime as, as a young child, we don't often remember the words that were spoken to us, but we often remember the scenes. We remember those moments that there was something that was imprinted upon us that visually we can recall years later. So if you are in excess of 20 years and beyond, as the majority in this room are, we can look back and say, when I was a child, I remember this, and it's a scene, it's a picture that forever is imprinted upon our minds. We embrace that. And so this morning, since we have a lot of children, uh, more so than normal, in the room on this Family Worship Sunday, we wanted them to have a picture in their mind that they would not forget. And that is that the center of our worship is indeed Jesus Christ. And the symbol of Jesus Christ's work in our lives is the cross. I mean, there are many images that we can claim that, that draw something meaningful to us. But when you see a cross, you immediately associate Christian to that symbol. And we get that term Christian from Jesus Christ. And it's imprinted upon us and it's imprinted upon society to know what that image means. When Jesus sent, well, I'm not Jesus, but when his father, Yahweh, sent Israel into the promised land, he gave them an important charge. It's known as the Shema to them. The Shema was this statement that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was an important truth for them to know. And that second to that was then that knowledge of who God is, we are to then love him with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. So we have to know who God is. He is God, and he is one, and we're to love him fully. And then it gives us several charges by which we then can imprint that upon our children. Because the concern of the Lord was not the generation that was going in that had learned the lessons in the desert. His concern was their children and their children's children and so on. He did not want them to forget. So he told them to talk about the God being one. Talk about that we're to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind. And we're to do so at the dinner table. We're to do so when they go to bed, and we're to do so when they rise up, and we're to do so as we travel, and we're to mark our homes with symbols that provoke our memory of saying that indeed Jesus is part of the triune God. He is one, and we don't want our children to forget that, and to have that relationship that we truly love him with our whole being, heart, soul, and mind. So this morning, I want us to start by going to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to begin there. If you do not have a Bible, our ushers would be glad to provide you one. If you do not have one for your own keeping, please take it with you. It would be a gift from us to you. 
Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is towards the end of the Bible, in the middle of several small books written by Paul. I'm going to start in verse 1. And it says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of death. All right, so I want to pause there before I continue reading. It says here, you used to be one who was dead in your sin. Used to be. I mean, think about it. Many of you here are here on this Sunday, on this holiday weekend, waiting a little bit longer for your lunch with your family and friends because you're here for a particular reason, perhaps to worship. In your worship, we're worshiping Jesus Christ. Why do we do that? It's because when the Father God did his work, he created an opportunity by which you and I can be reconciled back to him relationally. And by the work that was done on the cross, which we'll talk more about here in a moment, our lives were changed. It became a changing point. And for us, this cross, this symbol, and children, if you're here in this room, take a good look at this. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross that our lives, those that are around you right now, are changed. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you have called upon Jesus to be your Lord, your leader, and he is your Savior, if you have done that, then respond so that all those who are here that may not know that, respond by saying, Amen. Amen. Children, here in this room, did you hear the resounding sound? Lives have indeed been changed. Been changed by Jesus. And what that means is that there was a point where things used to be. Now, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, would you admit that there used to be in your life? And you know what I'm saying. It's a dot, dot, dot. Used to be. Dot, dot, dot. There is a lot in that used to be line in our lives. I can tell you, and this is getting weird now because now that my parents are worshiping here, There is a used to be in my life. Now, I gave my life to Jesus when I was young. But there was a point in high school where things really changed in my life. And when you look at what I was like before that and what I was like after that, you can say there were some used to be's. And a lot of those used to be's were relationally challenged in regards to my relationship with my mother. And my dad would probably affirm that. There were a lot of things in my life that needed to change because of how I treated her. But thank the Lord, there are used to be's. My life was definitely changed. And so was many of you. That when you gave your life to Jesus, you can say, I changed. Because Jesus changed me. And so therefore, there is a used to be in my life. 
and now I am. In this text, you'll see the same thing being brought up. So he says in this text, he says, you once were dead in your sins. What does that mean? See, there was a point in time before the cross, if you gave your life to Jesus, that you were dead in your relationship to God. That's what he's talking about. Dead in your sins meant that you were dead in your relationship with God. There was no relationship. You were completely fractured and unapart un of his uh, journey in, that he wishes for your life. And so you have here, you were once dead. You were dead to God. And then it says that you were also, in one, in one point in time, you used to be somebody that used to live according to the ways of the world. Now, the ways of the world is what? Well, the ways of the world is the majority can decide as to what is moral and immoral. Or greater yet, each individual can decide what is moral for him or herself. And therefore, it becomes right for that individual. And it could be seen as wrong for somebody else, but for you, that's right. But here's the problem. If that is indeed where life can be found, that morality is determined by each individual or by the masses collectively, how is that working in our society? Because that is the premise by which we live by. Is our society benefited by this idea that you and I can decide for ourselves what is moral and immoral? Is it working? Because guess what happens? If I think it's moral to, let's say, because I am hungry and because I'm not well off and because I perhaps was, did not have the greatest family structure, because I didn't have all those things and you did, and you have things that were not accessible to me and I wanted to take them from you because I had the lesser path, if I decided to take from you so that I could have more of what you have, what about the rights of the individual that gets taken from do you see what happens? If you and I decide individually what is moral and immoral, then at some point it infringes upon another's ability to believe that. And it creates chaos. It creates an internal conflict because it is, it's incapable of being able to function as society to say that each individual decides what is moral and immoral. It does not work. So yet here... It says that there was a time you used to be one who lived according to the pattern of the world where you decided what you wished for, whatever makes you happy. But also, there used to be a time when the one you followed was the one who is called the deceiver, the great uh, 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 Satan himself, where he is the ruler of the darkness of this world, as it says in the text, that will follow his lead. And what does he lead you to? disobedience. Ultimately, he says disobedience in the text. That, that when we live out under the patterns of this world, we live out under the pattern of the ruler of darkness, you're going to end up disobeying something because you yourself are not responsible to any authority. Again, it creates chaos and conflict. And ultimately, verse 3, it says this. We do all this. We live by the patterns of this world. We live by the ruler and the leadership of this world, the darkness. We do so because why? We want to gratify our own nature. Self-gratification is what we're driven by. Whatever makes you happy is what we're driven by. But guess what? That's a used to be. 
if you're in Jesus Christ, that used to be you, where yes, you used to be dead between your relationship and God, with, between you and God, and you used to follow the patterns of this world, and you used to be somebody who was all about self-gratification. I'm thankful for key words in the text. There's a key text that many of you know from Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And there's an important word that's in there that's also in the text I just read. Romans 6, 23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. What's the next word? But. Isn't that a good word in this context? Because the wages of what you've done. We were all at one point dead to God because of sin. But the wages of that sin was death. In other words, again, separated from God, totally dead in that relationship. But, what's the next part? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That but is significant. And look at what happens in the text, starting in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, where we were at. It says, but... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. But we were dead because of our sins. We were following a pattern that was self-destructive because we thought self-gratification was constructive and we only find that it destroys relationships. We think that we were on a best path and then all we find ourselves is being miserable. Those are the used-to-be's. But because of Jesus Christ, our lives are changed. And in this text, he says the but is, but because you were so dead to God, God, out of his love for you and I, and his mercy. Key, both terms. Because God loved us so much, and because of his incredible mercy. In other words, he was not going to let us suffer the penalty that was due us. He was going to provide mercy so that you and I could be made alive in Jesus Christ by the work of the cross. How many of you would again say, Jesus changed my life? Amen. Jesus has changed my life. And if it wasn't for that but, that God loved us so much, God loved each of us so much, God loved me so much, that he went by mercy and offered grace. Look how the rest of the text goes. Again, reading in verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming of ages he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this not from ourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. I am so thankful that there is a used to be. I'm so thankful that I'm not what I was and that there are things that are different and always changing in me because of the work of the cross. 
what Christ crucified once and for all, our sins, is a daily carrying of that cross in my life where I can then repent of the things that would hold me back and, and embrace that for which Christ has made me new. Now, here's the important thing. In the Shema, he was wanting to make sure that from generation to generation that, that the children would know that God is one and that he wants a relationship with us. Those things happen by communication. They happen by relationship. And yes, they happen by symbols. That text said that we must talk with them about God being one and, and that we're to love them with our whole being. Talk about those things when we go to bed, when we rise up, and when we're at the table, when we're traveling. And yes, even mark our homes with symbols that would cause them to see who Jesus is. We're now gathered here with children and younger people in our midst and with friends and family. We have the opportunity to communicate and to speak that indeed Jesus changes lives. Has Jesus changed you? Are you willing to let people see that in your life and are you willing to let people hear that in your life? You see, one of the opportunities we have in the, Old, in the New Testament when the people would gather, it would say that the testimonies of the saints would encourage one another. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up on stage. We're about ready to sing a song that's called A Thousand Tongues. The song is speaking to the idea that, that God has created a family by which we can speak and we can also model and live out that Jesus has changed lives. This song is a testament to the fact that there will be a thousand voices regularly speaking that Jesus changes lives. But here's the thing. We're going to sing it and then I'm going to invite you to say it. We have two microphones up here on each side, and when this song is done, I'm going to invite you to come up and say, Jesus changed my life, and then give us a two-minute story, and that's tough for some of you, but give us a two-minute story of how Jesus has changed your life, not for the benefit of, of glorifying yourself, but glorifying this, the Savior who hung on that cross so that you and I could experience this changed life, and for the sake of those who might be struggling with the idea, does Jesus truly change lives? Let our testimony speak to the fact that Jesus does indeed change lives. Let's sing together. Would you stand, please? We want to walk out of the room and pray it upon all our hearts and minds, especially those who are younger, that this overcoming story that we've just been hearing from people is about the fact that we have a great God who is full of love and is rich in mercy. And that's why we can testify to the things we are saying. Used to be, right? If you're in Jesus, there is a used to be. But because of what is said in verse 4, but because of God's love for us and being rich in mercy, he made us alive in Christ. We were dead. We used to be. But now we're made alive. If that is your story, we can, you, your heart is resounding with mine, I'm sure. And just like, that is my song. But if you do not know Jesus, then you're still 
in a condition of what we used to be. And we would invite you to give your life to Christ and discover what it means to not only know about him, but to, to have a relationship with him. We have people that are up front on each side of the stage who would be glad to pray with you and talk with you and introduce you to Jesus. If for that matter, I, I would be willing to talk to you as well and, and to introduce you to Jesus who will change your life. But if you're a child of God, he did all of this work in us through the bridge of the cross and the work that was done there, so that what was the final verse we read, which is, for then we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus then to do the good work which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And that good work is being disciple makers, teaching others of who Jesus is and that he wants a relationship with you because the Father is so in love with us that he would do such a thing as send Jesus to die for us. That's our story. We used to be, but now we're not because we're made alive. With that in mind, let us go with the joy that is in our hearts as we heard the overcoming stories, but singing a song then as a result, great is our God. People, you're dismissed to go and enjoy your families today, but let it not be far from your heart. You used to be, and now you're alive in Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.